And welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. And I'm Steve Edelman. Steve, happy end of May. Okay, audience, we are recording this on June 8th, and you're like, Danielle, you're at least a week off. But no, 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 no. It is the end of May because this past Sunday, June uh, 5th, if my math is correct, I finished dance recital graduation concert season. And much celebrating is done, at least in my heart, if nowhere else, when we reach the end of the May season, which starts in the middle of April, y'all. I'm sorry, it does. And if you live in other parts of the country, May may continue into the middle end of June. But here, because it follows the school year, May is over. Aren't we happy? I am happy. This past weekend, in my venue, I had seven dance recitals between Friday night and Sunday night, <laughs> seven. Podcast and, listeners, we collectively gasp on Danielle's behalf. <laughs> yes, and we've done about seven almost every weekend, except for the weekend of university commencement because I can't book against that. <laughs> Though the dance teachers would like me to. All right, just this past weekend, here are an example of some of the things that happened during our seven dance recital. First of all, we had hundreds of dancers and thousands of guests in and out of the building. We had two toilets overflow. We had two incidents where people vomited, both on carpet. Uh, we had trash cans go from empty to full in like a skinny second. We had music misfiring. Uh, we had dancers tripping over themselves in the dark. We had a broken marble stair that we got to make this grand cone thing because nobody from facilities can magically fix a broken slab in two hours on a weekend, though they did come and look <laughs> at it. We had a, a patron with a breathing problem. Uh, we had a report of a suspicious person, an older man who appeared to be on his own with a backpack and a professional looking camera trying to get backstage, claiming to be possibly a kid's grandfather, but it wasn't like he went and looked at a list of names and then said, I'm, I'm so-and-so's grandfather. We think he was, which is what normally happens, but we weren't sure. So we did enact a protocol of observe from a distance and make sure that he didn't get backstage. Um, and to cap it all off, the worst of scenarios other than the uh, like, in terms of things that didn't actually go wrong, we had a lost child where we got to enact our code Adam protocol, which is the one that we use, uh, where at the end of the show, during egress, when the chaos level is at 1,006, a kid went missing. And we got to shut down the lobby and the back door and the parking lot until we located such a, and this was just one weekend. <laughs> we had weeks of this. And you know what? Lots of people do shows like this, even if it's not a dance recital, where uh, the structure is loose and there are lots of family groups and there's a variety of levels of experience in your everybody's. <laughs> so we thought this would be a great pod. Podcast listeners, 
Danielle Hernandez is speaking to us from a very dark room, and you can see incense <laughs> billowing around her, trying to bring oh. her stress level and cortisol back down to a human Day degree. Is over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we we brought some some friends who have similar experiences uh, to to join us in this conversation, and I will. We're going to introduce them all and then bring them into the conversation. So uh, I'm introducing Josh Webb. And Josh is an associate professor of theater at Coker University, which is also in South Carolina. Uh, he also serves as program coordinator and director of performance services at the Elizabeth Boatwright Coker Performing Arts Center. Uh, he was, he's been technical director in Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. And he's also taught theater in South Carolina Aiken. He has a BA in theater from Keene State College and an MFA in theater production design. And he does scenic design. It's all around great guy. He and I were on a panel together where we talked about no more war stories, as in, you know, safety at events. So he and I are buds. All right, Steve, to you. Well, first, as one of three transplanted New Englanders in this conversation, Josh, will you share the correct pronunciation yeah, it, of the I city just outside of Route 495 in Massachusetts? Well, okay, so the correct pronunciation or the local pronunciation. So it's either Worcester or Worcester. There you go. Yeah, all right. So. Sorry, I'm from <laughs> upstate New York and I live in South Carolina. I can tell you six different ways to present, uh, pronounce Charlotte and Charlotte. Um, but, you know, anyway, well, go don't, on. Don't, don't mess with New Englanders. So, yeah, <laughs> Worcester. Worcester. Do it right. Okay, sorry. Um, all right. Um, on behalf of the other side of this equation, um, we have two friends from the Riverside, California Convention Center, um, Pam Sturrock, who is the Director of Revenue Management, and Devin Vanneman, Director of Security at the Riverside Convention Center. And a couple of months ago when I was out there, number one, I discovered a fabulous donut place in Riverside. So if you're going to Riverside, California, or any place in the Inland Empire, I got a recommendation for you. Um, and other than that, we did a whole walk through the convention center. And well, we did tell a lot of stories about things that happened there. And one of them was about dance recitals and the fun things that happened during those events um, in convention centers. So I'm not going to ask Pam or Devin to call out any bad things that happened at the Riverside California Convention Center. They can refer to friends buildings and, you know, sort of anonymize <laughs> their information. Uh, but yes, we, we have two smart friends from a very good convention center. Thank okay. You. So welcome, guys. We're glad to have you here. And so... I'd love to throw this out. It's like, what do you, when you're preparing for events like this, what, so there's the obvious technical stuff, but from safety things, what are some of the things that you guys identify that you try to mitigate from the outset? Um, so for us, I, the big thing to start off with is just making sure that we cover some things in our contract, right? That, that they're not allowed to do. Uh, or that we, or that we ask them to do, uh, before they get on site or as they get on site. I require a production meeting if I feel like uh, it's necessary for an event, and that's in my contract that I can require them to come in for a production meeting. Um, you know, we do not allow anyone that is not performing or with the organization specifically to be on stage. So you can't just, you know, parents can't 
come up on stage at the end of the event, which is something we ran and we started to run into problems with. Um, and we require a certain number of um, parents or supervising adults per amount of children um, so that we don't run into situations where there are lots of unsupervised kids, especially backstage around the fly system and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the sort of the big things to start with. We also obviously require an insurance rider, you know, but that's less a safety yeah. thing and more a CYA thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so some of the things that we do, especially for like the dance groups, is we make sure we increase our security presence. Um, so we have more um, officers monitoring the floors and the attendees and um, just kind of monitoring them as, as they come in, watching the flow. Um, and then we work real closely with the client to make sure they know um, that we have first aid available for them. We also um, prepackage ice bags for like injuries and stuff like that. So it's, it's just really working close with the client and understanding what their safety needs are and then just just matching them for them. Yeah, we do similar things to both of those, one of which particularly is uh, our EMT for most events we station backstage because we do so much dance that typically our bigger injury isn't going to be a slip, trip, and fall from the audience. It's going to be a performer injury. And a lot of times it's a dancer. So yeah, we also utilize a lot of, a lot of ice. Also, I wanted to uh, bring up on my behalf, because I actually do the contracts for these events before they even come on site at the convention center. Um, I do stipulate that they have to have chaperones and monitors in the restroom areas. Um, that is something that we are, we, 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 I should say that we had some incidents before in the past and we learned our lesson that it, it is important to make sure that these parents are with their children at all times. Um, and that is something that's stipulated in our contract. Something else that we do, um, we have a carpet and we also have uh, marble uh, floors and tile floors throughout. Um, and we have signs that uh, we do ask that they don't uh, have their tap shoes on. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell, we do. Tell, tell everyone why. Because I know what I get is you're trying to protect your floor. And I'm like, that's not it at all. What? Why? Well, I, you know what? It's been in place for so long. I can't remember or recall the exact reason why we put it in place, but it it is for us to protect the floors. And I think that's initially why it was so important for us to have that done um, in our old convention center. And we've just kind of uh, used that the same, you know, policy here. What about you, oh. Devin? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We do um, put out signage, especially the other signage that we use for our escalators is that the, the attendees have to wear shoes on the escalators because a lot of times the dancers will take Dancer their, their shoes off and try to go on barefoot. Um, so signage is another thing that, yeah, we absolutely use to um, to help with the safety aspect of the event. So, so interestingly, the main reason we don't allow tap shoes on our um, terrazzo floor in the lobby is because they, they will take two steps and fall because it's like wearing ice skates. They literally, especially if they are not used to walking in tap shoes, it's, you can count it one, two, boom. You know, so we don't allow tap shoes because we don't want them to get hurt. Terrazzo floor is not at all forgiving. So Pam, I want to go back to something that you mentioned um, because you and I have nerded about nerded out about many a contract. You mentioned um, 
chaperones for dance recital participants going into restrooms. Does the convention center involve itself in any way in vetting those chaperones? Is that something that you get involved in, or is that something that you leave to whoever is licensing the convention center? We leave it to whoever is licensing the convention center. Um, pretty much when the, the how the conversation goes, once I place that information in the contract and it kind of walk through the contract with our clients, I do let them know when I say chaperones or monitors, uh, nine times out of 10, that's the actual parent themselves, um, making sure that their children are not going um, to the restroom on their own. And Devin, I'm not, I'm not sure, have you seen them actually place uh, monitors there or do you see them, is, it's, it's actually the parents taking them to the restrooms? Yeah, if it's not the parents, it's the um, somebody from their dance studio, usually like their teacher or instructor that's with them, but there's usually always somebody with, um, with the kids. Okay, and there was something else too, I, I just remembered that, um, we sometimes have an issue with is the escalators here um, and children, you know, especially because when you have these events, um, their families coming and there are little ones and little siblings and, you know, family members that are coming that are going to be sitting there all day and they get anxious and they want to play on the escalators. And that um, is a common issue and has been for years. Um, what we've done is Devin has um, stationed security staff next to the escalators to make sure that, uh, number one, that they're not barefooted, number two, or barefoot, uh, but number two, um, that, you know, we have a sensor. Our sensors on the escalators are, are, are extremely sensitive. And when you stand there, it shuts down the escalator if you stand there too long. And um, that's another reason why we have security staff there to let them know, keep the flow going. This, this isn't an area that you want to congregate around. So that was something else that I, I thought of. I, I was in an airport just a few days ago and there was an incredibly long layover for a lot of people due to weather issues. And I saw a whole bunch of young people going backwards up and a down escalator. Is that a thing that you experience? Yeah, that's a, that definitely. Um, that is another reason why we have security at the escalators. Because <laughs> those kids get a little, you know, Fancy. rambunctious. They, they like to play on the escalators and we have to keep them from doing that because, yeah. They shut down and we got to get a company out to, to get them back up and running that could be a long process so yeah kids do like to play on escalators yeah you know that happens sometimes this and including during the rehearsal process where kids are there for hours and hours on end they do get really restless and you know the adults get restless too but they they are more discreet about how, how they spend their time but yeah the kids kids wandering i'm actually now really grateful i don't have an escalator because yeah because that would be a thing <laughs> yeah the, the legal concept there is called an attractive nuisance um, <laughs> i mean it's a it's a great term and it refers to anything like a you know a, a swimming pool without a, a fence around it um it will attract people who are looking for something more interesting than whatever they were just doing. 
And it has to be safe for whoever is the reasonably foreseeable people in the area. Right. And, and, like you know, I'm sorry, escalators and elevators, um, the same thing with the, uh, the elevators, that becomes a right. I remember one time we had an incident that someone dropped their uh, phone um, down the shaft in the elevator, that someone dropped an iPad once too during a dance, you know, um, um, competition. And it's just with, you know, you're, you're dealing with young people and children that, um, have some time on their hands and they're all they're there all day and especially older siblings when the um when the parent is inside of the actual room and an older sibling uh tween let's say um they're old enough to go to the restroom by them themselves um they wander off and all of a sudden, you know, they're having shenanigans in the elevator or. That's uh, what we call it too. Or like the potential for shenanigans is high today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. You get one of those like weather gauges, you know, the thermostat, you know, potential for risk, very high. So I, I have a question for you guys who actively deal with this situation because I deal with it only on an occasional basis. So conceptually, you know, we know that risk assessment begins with identifying what are the most foreseeable risks for your event, your physical environment, your your demographic, who's going to come, whether it's the participants or the siblings in this case. How do you do a risk assessment when it seems like the parade of horribles is almost endless. I mean, Danielle started with a list that lasted several minutes and you guys have added to it. Yeah. How do you do a risk assessment in this situation? And to add to that, I'd say that in some ways, this is harder than a big concert because your known factors for a big concert are much more prescriptive, like are much easier to anticipate. But I'll let my friends start the list. I wrote a whole bunch of things yeah. down before I mean, we got here. <laughs> and in terms of the list, it is endless, but I think the biggest, you know, I've always, I guess, I guess I've always said that the, one of the biggest sets of skills that a technical director or production manager can have is the ability to see the future, right? Is the ability to sort of look around a room and see where the problems are, right? That this is going to, like you said, attractive nuisance. To me, the entire backstage area is an attractive nuisance. Right, you've got ropes to pull, you've got ladders to climb, you've got spiral staircases that go sixty feet in the air. You know, you've got all sorts of wonderful, you know, floor pockets and all sorts of wonderful things. Um, <clears throat> and it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that you have people stationed at the right spots is the biggest thing that you can do because you cannot anticipate everything. A thirteen-year-old child will find trouble. That is just what they will do. It is in their nature. You know, they, their brain has not fully developed, uh, not even remotely close yet. And they will they will find whatever thing they're not supposed to do and try and do that thing. Uh, we always tell our students, you know, if the audience can see you backstage, they're going to look at you because you're inevitably more interesting than what's happening on stage. The same is true for all those kids that are hanging out. Whatever there is around them is inevitably far more interesting than what they're supposed to be doing, which is paying attention and listen to the adults around them and things like that. So making sure you have enough bodies um, that represent the facility. That's the big thing, right? Because even some of the parents come in with an attitude like they kind of own the place, um, you know, that they can do whatever they want and it's not a big deal. 
Um, you know, like I have parents that wander around my shop and start trying to use tools and stuff. And thankfully I've shut all the breakers down, you know, before they've even gotten in there because I know what's going to happen. Right. So I, so I know when I open the, the loading dock doors that all the breakers to the tools go off. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just making sure that you have your people in the right places. I have to, I would like to add to something that, um, a friend of mine at another, you know, facility and venue has run into uh, we love our friends and their stories <laughs> go on pam <laughs> one of my peers a uh, close peer um what we have run into lately is a lot of these dance uh companies and um we've had we had a few in our own convention center we had a four i think but they were they were rather large um I would say what about two, three thousand that came through um, over a two or three day um, time span. Actually, probably more than that in, in the three day time span. But my friend had shared with me that um, what's been happening lately is the production companies that come in with these um, organizations, they also present a risk because. They are in the back of the house. Um, they have sometimes that same mentality that is displayed that you were just speaking of, of that they they can walk about wherever they want to, and they uh, they know a little bit of the lay of the land, so they feel like they can walk in all spaces that they're you know some of the spaces that they aren't supposed to be in. Um, uh, one one uh, spot in particular that a friend shared with me is that um, they were leaving back doors open that was leaving our, you know, an area available to other people coming in. And uh, we have a similar location. So that was very interesting to me that that happened. Um, so that is something else that needs to be addressed when you are doing contracts for myself. Um, that we're going to start implementing as well is the conduct of their production crews coming in in the safety of our back of the house in the safety of our equipment and um, just overall protocol and behavior of their staff as well as their production crew or their audiovisual crew that they have traveling with them do you both find some some instances in your locations like that as well uh, for me, it's more limited. I'm a small venue. Um, you know, we're a 466 seat proscenium arch theater, right? So I've got my sound system. I've got my lighting system. Typically, the only thing that I have come in with them is someone who's recording the event. And most of the time, they, they get stuck right next to the light board with a sound feed, you know, from one of my bus sends, and that's it. So they're, they're kind of out of the way, um, and they don't present as much of a problem. But you know, there are other, there are all sorts of other issues. I do have parents that leave doors blocked open. For us, it's the prop dads, right? Yes. Um, you know, the dads that are kind of involved with these shows on the weekends, you know, building the sets and things like that. They treat it, I mean, I, and I'm in the, and I'm in the South, right? So they treat it like if they're going to the, the high school football game, they tailgate. They literally will like set they up a tailgate. parking lot and put out grills and all this other stuff. You know, because they're going to be there all day. Hey, we're going to have a pig pulling today, and and not a lie, they will literally grill a pig in my back in, in my back parking lot. Um, 
and which is great. It's social, it's wonderful, but I've got to do things like keep them a certain distance away from the building. I've got to make sure that they don't, uh, you know, take over the handicapped parking spaces, stuff like that. So it's, you know, different, but on the same, you know, there's a lot of the same kind of stuff happening. It's just from different people. And and I can say that I'm delightfully in the middle of the two of you. So, yep. so we will have the all day. We're going to cook out in your parking lot with our camp chairs, just like this football game in South and the other end where we will have vendors come in more for competitions than recitals um, with their own gear. Uh, a lot of times there are a few doors that we try to keep closed, but because of the way the facility's loading dock is, the back is just open. There's And there's no, yes, we could close it from a security perspective, but then we wouldn't be able to do the event because stuff is going in and out of it all day. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where the people mm -hmm. aspect comes in as opposed to physically closing a door. Uh, we're attached to another building and we work really hard to keep people out of that building uh, with signage and we walk through it. Uh, one of the things that I actually haven't heard either of you mention yet, uh, but that happens a lot with us is uh, the dance industry came up with something called the dream duffel. And this is like a big rolling um, duffel bag that opens up and you can pull a clothes rack out of it. And I bet in the convention center, it doesn't matter at all, but they take up a lot of space. Yep. So they will fill up my, for dance things, somewhat limited dressing room space and they will want to put them in the hallway. And then I have an egress issue that is just not, uh, so we have signage that we put up. We actually uh, will patrol the hallway and ask people to move their stuff into the dressing rooms. Uh, people will pull furniture out of the dressing rooms because they just can't figure out how to deal with one more chair and we'll just make the chair go away for the day. <laughs> it's like, fine, we're not going to make you have the chair. We'll take it away. But you know, that is something that I've learned over time is that we really need to stay on top of because if we have to evacuate, which once we did uh, when a tween, the age of shenanigans, pulled the fire alarm. <laughs> And we got to all go outside. Uh, anyway, but that uh, that change in the luggage actually changed our operationals. And I think that's my biggest takeaway is I've been doing these events for like what feels like a hundred years. Um, it isn't, but it feels like it. But I'm always learning a better way to do it, a new way to do it, a new thing to look out for. Um, and I think that might be part of the trick to it is, uh, uh, I forget who said it, but somebody said, you know, seeing what could go wrong and addressing it as you see it. Yeah, to, to um, answer um, Steve's question, I think with these types of groups, there are always like given risks that you can, you know, are gonna be there um, with, with the dance groups. But yeah, there's always things that are that are unforeseeable that you, you plan for. Um, like Danielle said, once those ones uh, come up, you do address them. I, I'm glad Josh brought up the, the prop dads because one of the issues we deal with is we don't allow the outside alcohol, especially, I mean, it's you're, you're dealing with kids and then the prop dads are dealing with these big props. They're, they're drinking. Neither of us meant alcohol. No. Alcohol is not allowed. Oh. If they have alcohol, we don't know it. Well, ours, yeah, ours will try to ours will actually sit out there and try to drink, and then they're dealing with the with the the props, and so we have to put it into that, so we know that, and that's like a given. Like they're always going to do that because they treat it like it's a tailgating thing, and 
Um, so I think there's certain given given risks that are involved in these groups. Um, and then there are ones that just kind of surprise you and you learn from it and address it in the future. So here's one I have, and I'm, I'm interested to see if, if other people uh, plan for this one. But uh, one of the things that we're consistently aware of is that events like graduations and big end of the year concerts and dance recitals can be a, a, a time of domestic tension, especially when it comes to non-custodial parents. So that is something that we are always, like when I'm talking to my um, house managers and law enforcement, I'm always like, these are the risks for this type of event. And this is one of them is, is the non-custodial parent. Uh, is that something you guys experience as well, or is it? Uh, and it was brought to us by dance teachers coming to us and saying, we have these concerns and it has to do with how they dismiss their children um, where they're basically looking for backup from us. We, we let them set their own policy in terms of how they dismiss children. I haven't had those issues brought to me. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Um, typically we've got a black box theater space that's kind of off that sort of lines up in such a way that is the easiest place for them to check their kids in and out. You know, mm -hmm. typically they'll have a table out there. They'll check their kids in and out that way. Um, you know, again, we don't allow parents backstage unless they're with the organization. Um, you know, we don't allow parents on stage, you know, so, it, but we do leave it up to the schools to determine how they, how they sort of shuffle their kids in and out. Cause I don't know their kids. Right. Uh, well, and that's one of the things of we don't, we never know yeah. who is and, like who's a dance teacher and who's a parent. Yeah. And we're also, I guess we're smaller, right? We're, we're a much smaller town than Greenville or certainly, um, you know, out there, out there in California, we're, you know, in Riverside, we're, you know, a town of 8,000 people. So, you know, most people know everybody, you know, most of these people have been here for their whole lives. So um, I, I'm assuming I would hear about it if it was a problem, but it hasn't been yet, as far as I know. Well, you guys who are representing the venues, you're not doing the check in or check out of kids. No. Uh -uh. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to touch that. No, 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 nope. no, no, no. no. I'm no not, it's point. not my job to supervise. I keep a kid. Yeah, it's <laughs> not my job to supervise their kids. The only thing I will do is I will correct child behavior if it looks like it's going to be dangerous. You know, I will talk to the teachers if if they, if I see there's a kid that's a problem. You know, I, I had a child that was like, it was one of the dancers. She was just like constant motion you know, just running around constantly up and down the stairs. And I told him, like, listen, she can't be running up and down the stairs. You know, if she trips and falls, you know, now they've got their insurance rider, but still someone's going to be mad, you know? Um, so I'll deal with things that way, but I don't typically, if I don't have to deal with the kids specifically myself, I've got my own child. He's a grown up. I don't have to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and the, these belong to them. And, but I've got kids in and out of the building all the time because I've, you know, I've had all the elementary schools and middle schools in town put their plays on in our facility. Um, you know, so I, I have kids, I had kids in the last couple of dance recitals coming up and saying hello to me by name. I had no idea who they were, but clearly they've been in the facility a few times already this year. Yeah. <laughs> you can decide if that's awe or not. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it was, you know, I, it was okay when I put the Santa hat on, you know, for the Christmas play, you know, with the big white beard that no one in the podcast world can see, but 
Podcast <laughs> listeners, Josh has a very distinctive and luxurious beard. <laughs> Well, we have, um, not only do we do a lot of dance uh, competitions, but we also do uh, cheerleading um, uh, uh, shows, or not cheerleading shows, but there are camps, uh, cheer camps during the summer months. And we also do um, gymnastic competitions as well, which brings a lot of of young people, actually it's the youth um, uh, competitions as well as we've had a few um, martial arts uh, schools that do their um, their competitions here as well. So we have the gamut of you know experiences with youth groups coming through the convention center. And no, we do not police or um, we're, we're not given the task of checking children in or out. The reason why I put the chaperones and the monitors uh, clause in, at the end of our contract was uh, for safety issues because we we are a larger convention center that have other events going on. And we just want to make sure that, you know, um, all people are safe, all guests are safe. Um, the competitions generally happen in our largest room, which is about uh, 30,000 square feet of space, but we have other rooms that are 8,000 square feet. So we could have 400 people going on at the same time as the, you know, 2,000 for the dance competition. And we have also rooms downstairs. Um, We haven't, have we been asked? I don't remember. I don't think we've ever been asked to uh, shut down restrooms and have them just for the dance competitions. In my 23 years, I have not had that happen. I've had that happen for proms, when proms were in-house. Um, but they were only taking one room and we had the rest of the convention center occupied. So, you know, that was, that was a fun way to negotiate, (laughs) but, um, that is something that, you know, um, could come up depending on, you know, what happens in the future with, uh, dance competitions and liabilities. That is something to think about. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you guys. I'm sorry, Danielle. Um, I have a question for you guys about something that I have been noodling on in another context, um, which is how would you how would you either evacuate or if it's more appropriate given the young demographic that we've been talking about today, invacuate if you had to do that? And here's the context. More often, I've had to deal with um, creating evacuation plans for places with an older population, Um, you know, symphonies, for example, where they know that there's going to be a certain number of people with significant mobility, visual or hearing impairments, they can't evacuate. So we're very careful to designate um, areas of refuge where they can go um, to identify people who can serve as wheelchair pushers, um, to even have a plan for extra wheelchairs if they have those. Um, Usually they don't. Um, But we figure out how to deal with the exigent circumstances that may require moving people, given who would actually have to be moved and that they don't move very well. So this conversation raises sort of the other side of that coin. Everyone has extremely good mobility, but their ability to listen, follow instructions, stay 
calm, cool, and collected, that may be the limitation. So, you know, that as the context, what do you do? And I want to add one more thing. When, when our friend Eric Stewart talks about crowd management and training, one of the groups that he specifically identifies is parents of small children wanting to reconnect with that child. So this is one of my nightmare scenarios, but I'll let others talk first. Our campus safety office has um, drilled us pretty well in terms of evacuation and lockdown procedures. We are a school, so obviously lockdown is something that we've had to consider. Um, being a performing arts facility, lockdown is a bit of a nightmare. Uh, there are so many doors. There are so many entrances. There are so many rooms that cannot be locked, um, you know, completely. Um, you know, we we do have thoughts in terms. You know, we we've identified the spaces that we can get people to that can lock and and not have exterior visibility, right? So that have windows that can be easily blocked so that people can't see inside and have doors locked and things like that. So we've got those spaces identified. Um, I don't know what we would do in a situation where I had a house of 400 parents and 100 kids backstage or 80 kids backstage along with dance teachers and whatever. Um, if it was a fire alarm, my assumption is that they would all just walk to the nearest exit. Um, you know, that they've all learned this in school. They've, you know, um, these are certainly, you know, our exits are clearly marked. Uh, our pre-show announcement you know, uh, sort of announces some of that stuff as well. Um, in terms of a lockdown, we I don't know that we've really addressed it with our outside rental groups because for us, the outside rental is really a growing thing over the last three or four years, right? Prior to my uh, taking over the Performing Arts Center, um, we didn't do tons of outside rentals. We did a little bit in May for the dance schools, but not much else. So it's probably time to address that with my my campus safety folks and, and come up with some plans. Yeah, we so we do have an emergency operation procedure and a plan in place um, that's readily available to our staff and to anyone that comes into the building clients. Um, and our staff is trained on evacuations and we have um, procedures in place where who's gonna grab like just for the employee side, like we we have employees check in, they sign in on clipboards. So someone's designated to grab those clipboards. We have an evacuation site. Um, so the, the team here would work together to get everyone out of the building. Um, in a lockdown situation, we, we would just reverse that and you know notify everybody of what's going on, especially the client who can then get to the uh, to everyone on their end to let them know what's going on. But something else that we're working on and we're about to roll out. Um, shortly we've been building it is, is a mass emergency notification system. So using technology to, um, to help with that, to get those announcements out. So we'll have an employee side and we'll also have a guest side. Um, and there'll be QR codes around the facility where they can scan that and become part of that, that app if they would like to. And on, on that app, um, there's, there's all kinds of information for them. Our evacuation uh, procedures, our floor maps, our everything, uh, where to evacuate to. So that's something that we should actually be, we're, we just finished building both sides. So it should be rolling out by the end of June. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds uh, cool. Why don't you tell me about that when I was over there? <laughs> it wasn't ready yet, Steve. Sorry. You just said. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, 
you know, we are, we're a small enough organization that we know who's there working. Uh, so it's easy for us to go and you're all out. And our staff is trained on evacuation and what to do if we, uh, where to meet and all of that. Um, a lot of times with events like these that we're discussing, we treat the people involved in the event as if they're part of the audience. We're telling them what to do. They don't have show stop responsibilities. They don't have evacuation responsibilities because there's no way we could possibly brief them all. Even if we talk with whoever's signing the contract, there's no guarantee that all of those people are going to get disseminated the proper information and would understand what to do with it. So if the fire alarm goes off, we're gonna be like, right this way, please. Please step outside and everybody clears the building. Um, and that is that is how we've tackled that. Um, in the 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 10 80 10 version of crowd management where 10% of your people are going to be leaders and 80% are going to be told what to do and 10% are going to be like no I'm not listening to you we in our spaces that that last 10% frequently is a parent trying to get to a kid and we don't stop them you know because first of all that's time we don't have to argue with someone we're going to let them get try to find their kid and we're going to try to tell them where we think their kid is uh, but we're not going to physically stop them from going upstream. Um, I would have a hard time myself with my own children who are now teenagers. So I understand that drive and I don't think it's a negotiable thing. Uh, maybe I'm biased, uh, but I have 80%. I have the other 90 that I need to get out uh, and then I can go back for them, assuming it is safe to do so. Uh, in terms of ingress and lockdown, like Josh, we have a, a million doors and um, we have plans, you know, our, one hates to say things like this, most likely reason to, to uh, shelter in place is a tornado, and I don't want to tempt fates with that sort of statement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we have a variety of, of ways we handle that, depending on how many people are in the building, because if we have 1,850 people in the building, there isn't a downstairs inside hallway that I can put almost 2,000 people in. Um, you know, but if we have smaller numbers, we've got all sorts of different strategies and plans to try to deal with that. Um, that sort of answers your question, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> we are in between. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a shelter in place this year for a sus uh, suspicious, uh, suspicious, words are hard, suspicious package just off campus. And uh, we do have an alert system that did actually work pretty well. But again, that's just for people on campus. So if you've got, mm -hmm. you know, 400 people or 1200 people in your venue, you know. Right. Are you, are you guys' doors, are they, is, do you have to take a hard key and, and lock every single door? Do you, are you on electronic um, access control? Um, we have electronic access to some doors, but most of them are physical keys. Yeah, like all things, it depends. Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are a computer access and some of them are a physical thing and some of them are an Allen wrench. I mean, that's really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my front, my, yeah, my, my uh, main entrance doors into the Performing Arts Center have crash bars, so they're all Allen keys. And I may be the only person on campus that actually has the Allen key. I don't know. I mean, I can tell you what size it is. You know, it's five sixteenths, but yeah. yeah. Home Depot's got you. Yeah, it's, it's a real convenient size, five sixteenths. Yeah. <laughs> Something too um, that I, I just heard and it reminded me of something um, for us to possibly implement too 
is we have uh, pre-cons with our clients, you know, before the actual event itself. And that's with the, um, the meeting planner generally. Um, because the majority of our dance competitions that are here have been here many years, we don't usually bother with pre-cons, but um, if something, say our policy was to change, say our safety guidelines were to change, then that would be a, 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 an opportunity for us to let the client know uh, we're going to have a pre-con, we're going to go over your event, and also um, it would be at that point in time that Devin would implement with them what our protocol is and our procedure is for in case of emergency, evacuation, a lockdown, um, and walk them through it. And it would also be imperative for us to say we'd like your staff there at the pre-con as well so that they could everyone's in the same room they're listening they're not trying to rush to get the room set up um, we have their um, undivided attention um, something else that um, i think is important too is it would address the tailgating everyone is hearing it at one time because we don't allow that we don't allow the, the alcohol um uh, we don't allow outside food and beverage because we have our concessions open so when i'm usually alerted to there being a issue um it generally means that pam's gonna put that in a contract that stipulates um no outside food and beverage also um it pertains to tailgating in our parking lots. You know, um, we have concessions, we have uh, we have a smoker that we put out in an outside plaza area and seating out there that we can do for them. Um, we'll do what we need to do to make sure that they are um, um, comfortable. Because inevitably what happens is that our groups, um, they utilize the, the parking lot areas and then they bring the stuff back inside to toss. You know what I mean? So they're using our disposals and stuff. So thank you. This conversation is great. And I'm sorry that I went back to something that we we're talking about before, but no, it, reminded awesome. me, it reminded me and I just wrote a note here. Yes, for, for sure. I think that um, pre-cons are important. And um, especially when we're addressing safety, um, it also lets the client know that um, we take their safety uh, seriously, the safety of their attendees, the safety of their staff. And uh, it pretty much addresses it so that there's no questions that you we can't go back and say, oh, well, you didn't tell us that. You know what I mean? Um, oh, we didn't know that we couldn't be in the back, um, you know, back dock area smoking or eating or um, leaving the doors open um, and also reiterating the chaperones, reiterating the monitors. And, and for my behalf, on my behalf, it is something to say to a client, um, whatever registration materials you've got going out, whatever uh, dance uh, studios you're dealing with or working with, be sure that all of them are aware that whenever a child or an attendee um, is going to the restrooms that they are chaperoned and monitored because the facility is going to um, enforce that. 
we want to make sure that people are safe. Hypothetically, mm-hmm. would there be, thank you, Steve, uh, would there be consequences if they don't abide by that policy other than the don't come back next year? Hypothetically? Hypothetically. You know what? I'm going to let Steve answer that. Yeah, there you go. He's our attorney. <laughs> Always pass it to the lawyer to be the bad guy. Yeah, of it course was, there's consequences. Hypoth- yeah, hypothetical. <laughs> there have to be consequences. So I, I will say on behalf of the Riverside Convention Center, they have really good facilities guidelines, um, which we are actually updating so that they're even clearer and more easily followed. And to make them easy to follow for visitors is to make them easier to enforce for the convention center as the licensor of the space. So yeah, I mean, it has to be that making a rule, the corollary to that is you can enforce the rule. Otherwise, you don't really have a rule at all. Um, And as a lawyer, I hate saying that we're going to do something and then not doing it. That's the worst scenario of all. And, and, you know, and even having the conversation with our clients and saying, um, you do have door monitors, correct? Coming in and out because you are, you are controlling um, who comes in and out of your um, competition rooms, correct? Um, We're here to secure the building. We're here to uh, monitor the parameters. We're here to um, monitor the, 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 uh, entrance and exits, the actual door of entering into your your room, your event room, you do have monitors for that, correct? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, a leading that's, question. <laughs> that's a conversation, but that is a conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, because you're not saying that the, your your venue isn't safe, not that at all. You just want to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Um, because if that's happening, if you have door monitors, then, um, you have, have people that are, you know, watching people going in and out and making sure, oh, okay, well, um, are we going to enforce that back to (laughs) what Steve just said? You can't put that in a contract if you're not going to enforce it kind of, kind of, sort of, that's, that's what it feels like to me. You shouldn't put it in there if you're you're not going to uh, enforce it. So one thing that I'm I'm picking up from this conversation, you know, sort of tying a bow around this, is you guys are all keenly aware of how many different stakeholders there are and how they process information differently and at different times. And I think that's actually really cool and an important takeaway for you guys regarding dance events and also podcast listeners for all of you listening to this because your circumstance will be whatever it is but you know Pam Stork has talked about doing a pre-con with you know the grown-up decision makers who are ostensibly in positions of authority Um, you can talk about some pretty significant detailed rules and that's why the Riverside Convention Center has these facility guidelines so that you can have a grown-up conversation on a dark day before kids start spilling into the building. Josh Webb talked about, you know, 
a much different period of time when you've got a building full of kids and you can't have that same detailed conversation. And, you know, Danielle has you know experienced that. She started and probably will end the pod with exactly that point that, you know, if you've got to get information to a bunch of children who at that point are separated from their increasingly frantic parents, sorry, Danielle, that might be you, um, you've got to have an entirely different type of messaging and be ready to deliver it in a really different way. And it may all be roughly the same message, but the process by which you deliver it and, and to whom you deliver it may be completely different. I just think this is such an interesting, you know, it's sort of a small topic that has such big messaging after it. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything you just said, you know, because the different people come into, like they're, the dance studios for recitals a lot of times will hire or have a, friends who are also dance teachers come work their recital. They're engaged the week before or the day of. Like they get a check handed to them at the thing. They're not involved in any advancing, uh, which is uh, for us, we call it an advance. Uh, same thing as a, as a pre-con, I think, um, where we're discussing all the details and contractual stuff uh, with a client. Um, you know, and, and then you have all of your vendors who may be selling concessions, maybe selling flowers, you know, maybe video, maybe photographers you know, who again are coming in at that last, last bit of that process. Um, and different than the competitions, because I work with both. Uh, a lot of times recitals, and, you know, again, I'm using these very specific examples, but out in the world, there are other things that are, would match this thing. These are owner operators, single owner operators. And especially when they're new, they're, still learning how this stuff works. So they lean heavily on, on the venue to tell them what the rules are um, because they're still figuring it out. Uh, the, the older ones and the competitions who do this professionally and do it across the country, they're at a different place, but you need to make sure that what you're saying is what they're hearing because it's not, uh, in my experience, I've learned a lot about communicating with them because they they're in different places in, in their experience levels. I wanna switch, cause there's a group of people that we haven't talked a lot about. I wanna talk about uh, production people. Normally they work for the building uh, or normally work for the building. You know, so uh, if you have a, a regular production AV company that works for you in the convention center world. Um, so they are basically insiders but they are tasked with operating these events. Um, and I will say that these, there's a bunch of things that I think they need consideration for too. You know, these are the stage crew type people. First of all, um, well, actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna address the, the, the other one first. The noise at these events is stressful. Yes. And I'm including the competitions, including cheerleading and, and just the level of screaming and cheering. It's, it's, it's in general, very happy noise, but it goes on for 
hours. Like I'm frequently handing out ear protection to my crew at a regular basis. Like, do you want this? Do you need this? It's right here if you change your mind. Because after two to competitions last 12 to 14 hours, it's a lot. Um, and it, it really is very stressful, but it's also damaging to your hearing. The the, well, and the other part of that is that loud screaming leads to louder monitors and, and house systems because yes. I constantly get, get have dancers ask me to turn the monitors up when they're already – I can already hear the monitors bleeding into the house, right? Yes. But they're screaming at the top of their lungs backstage. Like, well, if you weren't screaming, they could hear the music. I mean, you know, and obviously you're not going to get a bunch of, you know, 8 to 15-year-olds to stop screaming for their friends because that's that's how the competitions work right i'm in a theater so it's a very different type of venue and for me you know sort of the expectation of what a performance looks like is very different than what a dance competition looks like right yes. um <laughs> you know I, I i come at it from the viewpoint of an artist where you sit and you watch the art and you enjoy the art and you clap <laughs> and and a dance competition or even a recital is a very different thing like the second you see, I, I had cowbells over the weekend. I've never seen that before in my life. Someone in my proscenium arch theater with a cowbell every time their child walked on stage. It's like, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to stop them. I mean, they're having fun, good for them, but it was really weird. I'd never seen that before. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, that that noise level, it, it just, it it, you know, it's not only the human noise level, but it's then that that recorded noise level that you have to keep sort of pushing to get beyond what those little human voices can scream on stage. I just had a new sound system put in about maybe 16 months ago, and we added like three layers of monitors. You know, we've got front, you know, we've got front stage monitors, we've got flow monitors, we've got floor monitors, and even that they just want it screaming. And I can, I can't. I can't fade music out because my monitors are all pre-fader. <laughs> you know, it can't be faded out. It's got to be muted to, to end tracks. You know, it's really <laughs> obnoxious. Hard stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Um, some other things that I've noticed that, that can be uh, relate to the crew. Um, first of all is making sure that they are dressed appropriately. Uh, and that they are aware of protocols around children. Um, and I add things, especially at Christmas time, about understanding that we are not here to talk about Santa Claus and other things that make the holiday special, uh, because that is not that is not why, why we're there. Uh, but we are coming up on an hour, so I want to wrap this up uh, and give everybody opportunity to share any last thoughts. Uh, Pam, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for including us in your discussion today. Um, I know we went off topic a little bit. You know, my, my passion is always food. So when you started talking about food and tailgating, I just was, oh, wait, that sounds delicious. But no. Um, <laughs> 
um, we're, I'm, I'm honored to have been uh, a participant here today, and I invite you, uh, Josh, or yourself to reach out and connect with us for sure. We should, this is how we learn, and this is how we grow, and um, you have instances that we I didn't think of that I actually wrote down for notes, and if there's anything that I can be um, helpful with, you know, please let me know. Devin? Yeah, same. Thanks for uh, letting me join in on the conversation. Like Pam, I, uh, I'm i taking away a few, uh, few points too, things that I didn't think of because your venues are similar, but but different too in nature. So um, this, this has been a, a fabulous opportunity. So thank you for having us. Josh? Yeah, and thank you again, yeah, for, for inviting me to be a part of this. I think it's really interesting that we have you know, a couple of very, well, three really different venues in terms of how they operate uh, and maybe what their goals are. It sounds like the convention center is really much more of maybe a profit-making entity where that's less of our concern. Uh, the big thing for uh, Coker University is very small. We have 800 students. We are in a town of 8,000 people. Our goal is to be an integral part of the community, right? So the, when we bring these community groups and the, the idea is that they're going to want to come back and maybe send their kids to our school. So it's a recruiting element as well. Um, so we really are about town and gown relationships, right? In, in a way that maybe a convention center is not. Um, so in some ways, we might have to be a little bit more diplomatic <laughs> uh, in, in our response to some safety issues. Um, whereas I would love to be like, nope, you broke a rule. See you later. Um, I can't really do that, um, you know, I, but it, it, again, it was really great to see how the different venues might operate. Um, and, you know, just as an educator, it's nice for me to see that just so I can help my students know what to expect to as they move out into the world. Yeah, so this pod is an example of what I love best about the Event Safety Alliance. You can email us at podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. You can also find us at eventsafetyalliance.org. Check out our website, find us on social media. We'd love to interact with you. But this is an idea of people doing similar but different things, learning from each other in real time. Hopefully you guys all learned something too. Steve, last thoughts? Yeah, I think this has been a really good conversation and an example of the importance of planning for the events that you have, not the events that you wish you had. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Oh, one final note I, I, I do want to say <laughs> bring it Pam we're a boutique convention center okay. so we're not a large one we're a boutique one and um, first and foremost is hospitality so everything we do is um, with respect and with caring so at any point in time we have any interaction with any of our guests our attendees our um, our meeting planner clients um, at the forefront of that is a caring aspect, and then the these are our guidelines. Sure, and my my only uh, implication that I was trying to make with that was that you I, I feel like your organization is probably just more professionalized than mine is in terms of how we operate. I think you're both great, so it's fine. And <laughs> and go and, Oh, no sports. I can't keep up and everyone will be embarrassed on my behalf. Okay. Uh, I will say 
you know, one of the things that I tell the people that work for me at the beginning of recital season every year is that for us, this is a job. And for them, this is the most important, fun, impact thing they may ever do in their entire lives. So it's important that we support them in that. And with that button to the pod, thank you all very, very much and stay safe, everybody.